So we come to verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, what is happening, these people speaking in all these different languages. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And I'm convinced that verse 15 is, is a joke. It's like when a, when a pastor begins with a joke. And I'm convinced that the, the, that the crowd there laughed when they heard this. Um, because uh, th- th- what he says here is, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Of course they're not drunk. Do you know what time it is? Have you looked at your watch? Do you see what time it is? It's only nine in the morning. No. Rather. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in your Bibles. What we are witnessing is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, he keeps preaching, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, all these miraculous things that Jesus did, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He's saying, you guys know about this. You've seen it or you've heard about it at this point. He's done so much. You have heard about it or you, have, you, you probably, most of you saw it yourself. This man, this man Jesus of Nazareth, was handed over to you, the people of Jerusalem, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, or that term there is lawless men, and it probably means the Romans, men outside the law, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, quoting another scripture, Psalm 110 here. Um, actually, this, yeah, this is Psalm 110. This is Psalm 16. Is this, yeah, this is Psalm 16. Um, and the next one is Psalm 110, that's right. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So this is David speaking, writing this psalm, but what he's about to say is, This is not David talking about himself. This is David talking about the Messiah who was to come. 
because these things were not true of David. These things would be true of the Messiah. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. We know where his tomb is. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. This is one of David's descendants would become the king, the Messiah. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah or the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. These 120, especially the 12, but really the whole 120 as well, we're all witnesses of this fact. Jesus had been raised to life. They had seen him after he was raised to life. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, promised in the, in the prophecies, pro- promised in the scriptures, promised in Joel. And he has poured out what you now see and hear. So you are seeing this. So you saw the miracles we can tell you about the resurrection, that we, the, him after the resurrection, but you have also now seen the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, how these people are speaking in languages and praising God through the streets of Jerusalem and in the temple. You, you're, you've seen it. You've heard it. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, quoting for the last time his third text, Psalm 110, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, God said to my king, my Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That concludes his sermon, and we're going to stop there for this evening and get to the rest later. Notice that his whole sermon is building towards one point, and it's right there at the end. God has made this Jesus. Which Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. There were a lot of Jesuses. It was a common name. Which Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, this little dinky village, the Jesus that you all knew as Jesus of Nazareth who went around doing these miraculous things. That Jesus of Nazareth is the one who has been made both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah. He is, and both terms really have to do with ruling. He is our Lord. He is over us. God has placed him over us. He is our Lord and King. And Messiah also meant King. So this is just a way of saying uh, the Bible often uses two words and joins them together, like this morning, spirit and fire. Uh, Lord and, 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 and Messiah. Uh, it, it's one concept. It's the concept of he has been made King. Uh, one of the, the most primitive version of the message of the early church was Jesus is Lord. That was the most primitive version of their message. Jesus is Messiah or Jesus is Lord. And both of those phrases mean Jesus is the king, the coming king, not just any king, but the king of kings, the great, the great king. Um, this is God's politics. The message, this message that Peter is preaching, this is God's politics. He's giving them God's politics, which is God has set one on the throne, and he is the king of kings. He is the king of all kings. He is the king of all governments. He is the king over all rulers, all authorities, 
all nations. God has placed him on the throne at his right hand, and he is over it all. Uh, and, and this is the message. That's the message. That's the message, the Christian message. Now, it's, it's good news when you understand who this one is and what he's going to do. But the essence of the message is the first thing you have to understand and what he wants to get across. He doesn't talk about, uh, he doesn't really get into in-depth atonement theology here. He doesn't get in-depth into the cross here because he wants to get, that's going to come. That will be teaching they have to have and teaching they need. But the first thing he wants to get across to them is Jesus is king. He is the Lord and Messiah. You must reckon with this. God, not just he set himself up as Messiah, like Judas the Galilean, who said he was Messiah. Not just someone who came out and said that God was with him and tried to raise an army. That happened over and over again in Jewish history. No, this one has been made the Lord and Messiah by God himself. He has been made the Lord. Of, and he says, and I'm proving, I'm proving it to you, this extraordinary claim that I'm saying this guy from this little backward village, this no who cares who comes from their village? Nothing good comes from their village, Nazareth. This guy has been made Lord and Christ, king of kings, king of all, king of, uh, of the cosmos, king of all things. That's my message to you, and I'm, gonna de- and I'm demonstrating it to you three ways. Verse 22, he says, um, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. First thing is the signs and the wonders and the miracles that you saw him do. That was God saying, God was giving him the power to do that. Um, and, he, and God was saying to you, this is my one. This is my man. You're seeing him do things that no one else has ever done. You're seeing him do things that, uh, that, uh, that are awe-inspiring and amazing. And, and not just once or twice, or, but again and again and again, everywhere he went. Miracles and wonders and signs, powers, uh, signs, uh, uh, and these, they're, they're demonstrations of, of who he is. Um, and he says, remember what he says, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You saw it. You saw it or you heard it. There's, and by the way, when Jews began to teach against the Christian faith in the first and second century, and they began to te- in the first century especially, when they began to teach against it and say, don't follow this, don't follow this, they never, ever said, they never, ever said, he didn't do these things. There's no way they could say it. They, they couldn't say that. Everyone knew he did these things. They said he was from the devil. That's what they said. He was full of the devil. He had powers. Yeah, he had powers. He did amazing things, but it was because he was from the devil, this, this Jesus of Nazareth. They never said, he didn't do those things. That, that's, a, that's a lie. They couldn't do it. Everyone knew it had been, he had gone high and low. He had demonstrated it everywhere that he had done these things. The second thing that he, he says to make this extraordinary claim is that not only did God give him the, these powers, to do all these powers that, like, like the world had never seen, but also the resurrection itself is the demonstration that, yes, he was crucified. You can point to the crucifixion and say, look, he was crucified. He can't be Lord and Messiah. He said, no, but God raised him from the dead. And he mentions this twice. Twice he mentions the resurrection. Verse 24, he says, first he says, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But then 24, he says, but God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then again, he says in verse 29, 
Brothers, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died, was buried, his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And David, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. You can talk to hundreds of people who have seen him over and over and over again for 40 days. We have seen him. We can talk to you about it, that he, has, he was dead. All Jerusalem knows that he was dead. And we can tell you, we, can, we are the ones who've been chosen to testify to this, the eyewitnesses of the fact. We've been with him from the beginning, and we are testifying that uh, he was raised from the dead, and we have seen him alive back from the dead in his flesh and blood, resurrected. And the third thing he mentions to demonstrate this is that the people, the people, who are these 120 people who are going around miraculously speaking these languages, and this amazing thing has happened in Jerusalem, these 120, and they've gotten everybody's attention, thousands of people have flocked to see what is happening. Oh, interesting, the 120 are all the followers of one man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the one thing that ties them all together. They're the Galileans, but they they're all have this allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's because of their allegiance to him. It's in his name that God has poured out the Holy Spirit. And this is mentioned uh, uh, twice. Uh, first, when he's quoting Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is the coming of the last days, he said. The last days are upon you. They have come because the Messiah has come. And what has been prophesied, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, you are witnessing it. What you read about in those old, old books, those old, old prophecies, it's happening in your streets, Jerusalem. This is happening right now, right here, because Jesus has been set on the throne, and he explains it much more fully um, in verse 33, right, at, right near the end. Exalted, this Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, placed on the throne as Lord and Messiah. He has received from the Father. Here's the Trinity again, Father, Son, and Spirit. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is, he is pouring out upon us the last days, and this, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, because he has been set on the throne. And these are the ones who show allegiance to him. These are the ones who belong to him. And so they are receiving uh, this gift of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Every one of them, not just the 12, the 120, all of them who have allegiance to Christ, the Holy Spirit is being poured out on them. And of course, later, when we haven't get, we're not going to get to this tonight, he's going to say, anyone who believes in him, anyone will receive the same Holy Spirit. Um, so I want to ask this question. This is, this is his point. His point is to say that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that we do, when we're talking to people about the Christian message, it's, it's important to, sometimes it's easy to fall back into setting it in terms where it's just about um, some transaction you can do to get something for yourself, and it's, 
it's not really that much about God. I mean, God plays in the formula, and Jesus plays in the formula, but it's really about some kind of transaction, so when you die, you can go to heaven. But that's not the message. The me- that's part of the message, but the, but the message, the, the spotlight of the message is Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. It's to understand who he is. All the good news of the gospel is because of what this one is going to do and accomplish now because he is on the throne, because he has been placed on the throne by the Father what is he going to do? What is he going to accomplish? What is he now going to do? So I want to talk about three things. So I want to ask the question, why is Jesus is king a gospel? Why is that good news? Why is that a good, good news? And I just, I want to bring out three things tonight and, and uh, we could bring out other things, but I'm going to bring out three things tonight and talk about this. Um, why is this gospel that Jesus is king? Why is that a gospel? Why is that good news for you and me? Why, is, why was that good news for the people in Jerusalem that day? Why do 3,000 people respond to this? Why, do they, why are they stirred up? We're going to talk about that more fully next week. But what, what, why is this gospel good news? The first thing that I want to mention is that the king rejoiced when he was delivered from calamity by God. He was delivered from death and calamity by God, and, and it's going to include us, that, that rescue, but it begins with Jesus and his own rescue. Uh, verse 26, if you look back at verse 26, he says, um, this is quoting David, but, it's G, but these are supposed to be the Messiah's words. So listen to what the, Messiah, what the Messiah says. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, his body that's going to be crucified, right? My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. God is going to give his King, his Christ, his Messiah, he is going to give him um, this victory, this deliverance from the calamities that are falling upon him the death that is coming upon him. All the, the, his enemies have risen up against him. He is facing death. Um, he is going to be placed in a grave. But God is not going to leave him there. God is going to rescue him so he will not be abandoned to the grave, nor will, his, nor will you let your Holy One see the gay, but God is going to raise him up. So he says, therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. This is the joy of the Messiah. The Messiah has the joy of... He, was, he, was, he indeed went through this terrible, uh, this terrible ordeal, this terrible suffering and this death, but God raised him up and his heart sang and he rejoiced. He was delivered by God from death itself. Um, and the victory of, of, of this king, the idea is that if this king is set up and he has been given victory over death itself and over this calamity, that those who are with him, those who belong to him will receipt will be rescued as well. A few places um, where this, this theme comes up is back in verse 19. There's a little bit of debate about what's going on in verse 19 and 20, and, and you may have theories, but I'm going with, uh, with, with, with this idea that, that, uh, that I found persuasive that I read from, from, one, from one theologian, that these kinds of things that you see here that are mentioned are usually um, things that are mentioned in the prophet's they're not literal, necessarily literal things being described in verse 19 and 20, but this is poetic imagery, this is prophetic imagery that was used to describe things, great calamity, great upheaval, great 
uh, and terrible things that would take place. They would take place um, uh, in, this, in this final age, and of course it would rise up to, to conclusion at the end of, of history. But um, it, it seems to be the what's being, and, and Calvin is the theologian, by the way, Calvin seems to, to, to say that even though this is the age of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and this wonderful thing is happening, still there will be calamities. There will be terrible things taking place. You know, this, this imagery is just generic, I mean, it's prophetic imagery of, of just that there will still be terrible things. You will see up into, this, up into the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, the final day. Um, the, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Not literally, of course, but these are images of catastrophe and calamity. There will be terrible things that take place. And that's the time in which we live, of course. I mean, we are not being, the church is not being spared. The coming of Jesus has not spared us from these kinds of calamities, these kinds of horrible things that take place, these kinds of disasters that are let loose on the unless I'm let loose on the world, these things continuing to take place because of sin in the world. It's the consequences of our own rebellion. When we turned against the Creator, the human races fought against the Creator and turned against the Creator, the world is in upheaval. The world is in chaos. The world, God is still in control, of course, but many terrible things uh, take place, and there are calamities. Um, we, have lived, we are living through calamities. When you see these things take place, have these things have these things shaken you in, in recent days? COVID nineteen, um, the hurricanes, wildfires, political unrest, riots, uh, the Taliban taking over Afghanistan. You know, we could I could stand here and list how many headlines for the last few years. Terrible things are happening. Depending on where you lived in the world, some of them would 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 hurt you more than other. Drew and Ann in Colombia have been through political unrest. Um, COVID nineteen has touched all of us, but these calamities take place, and they're going to continue to take place. But the message is, verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This king is the one who he has been delivered from death itself. He has lived in this world, been delivered from death, and he will deliver his people from calamity and from uh, catastrophe and from all the things. Yes, these things are happening, and these things are going to continue to happen. They're going to continue to the end. And we don't know what the end is going to look like, but you know, the kinds of calamities could be greater in that time. It even seems that the scriptures imply as we get closer to the end. I'm not saying, this message is not saying that this is the end. I don't know when the end is. Uh, Jesus told me not to, not to, to, that I didn't know that, so I'm going to believe him that I don't know. But I'm saying that we live in the last days because I started with Peter. Peter said these are the last days. We live in the last days. Calamities are everywhere. They, this kind of stuff will continue. He's not saving us from calamity in this age, but he, is, he will deliver us. The Messiah will deliver us from calamity. Call on the name of the Jesus, and you will be saved. This is the one. This is the one God has put the power on to deliver his people. And um, verse 28 is a beautiful, a beautiful verse that says, You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The Messiah has been lifted up to joy by God. By, by God, delivered from... He lived. Remember, he was a man of sorrows, right? He lived in a sorrow-filled world. He faced all sorts of opposition, and God delivered him. And where Jesus go has gone, he is the first fruit. We will all follow. We have not followed yet, but as our king, he will lead us out. He will lead us in the paths of life. He will take us out of all these things 
all the calamity, all the chaos, all the strife and the turmoil. He will deliver us wholly from this. This is how great a king he is. He's not a king who takes over a little country here and tries to straighten things up and gets a few things organized. No, he's going to deliver us from everything, deliver us from all the calamity and chaos of the age in which he will lead us to life and to joy. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. As Jesus has gone, we will go. So when you see this, this, wonderful, this wonderful stuff about Jesus here, this is, if he is our king, this is where he will take us. The second thing I want to mention, um, and by the way, um, you know, one day we will be, as I was reflecting on this, you know, I was reflecting on the people in our church who we've seen fall just in recent, just, just in the last year or two fall under calamity, and the people close to this church who have fallen under calamity and that one day you will rejoice with Jesus, but one day we will see those people rejoicing with Jesus. Jesus' joy is full, and he will invite them into his joy and into life, and we will see Lee Frost rejoicing with her king, rejoicing without all taints of sorrow removed from her. We will see Jerry Bass rejoicing with Jesus. We'll see Leon Pancook rejoicing with Jesus. Terry Reynolds, Ruth Skates, Joyce Daniels, Jim Carroll. And we could go on year after year back to the people that we have lost and seen fallen to death in this age. But they're not lost. They're not gone. They had a king. They had a king and a deliverer, the Lord and the Christ. And we will one day see all of those brothers and sisters who belong to Jesus rejoicing freely, fully, and with the same kind of joy described as the Messiah's joy, we enter into the Messiah's joy because we will be liberated. As Jesus was liberated fully from death and all, none of the darkness of this age can touch Jesus anymore. He's completely liberated from the suffering and pain of this world. He has gone beyond it, and he will liberate all of us, and we will see our brothers and sisters. We will, we, those who we have seen suffer so terribly in this life, we will see them, just their hearts free, their bodies free, full of hope, full of joy uh, because of Jesus, because of what he has liberated. This is reality, folks. This is what it means that Jesus is Lord in Christ. This is what he is doing. This is, and it will be here in a blank. It will be here in a blank. It is coming. It may be this evening. It may be, uh, we don't know when it will be, but it's coming. It's coming, and it's real, and it's true. Second thing I want to say why this is good news is that the king poured out the spirit given by God on all his people. Of course, what happened at the beginning, what would this whole event reach to? Verse 33, um, exalted to the right hand of God because he was put on the throne, because he was king, made king by God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and Jesus, as king, has now poured out what you now see and hear. It wasn't until Jesus ascended and was placed on the throne, and he was enthroned and there at the right hand of the Father, that then the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, meaning all people who belong to him. Men, women, boys, girls, everybody, old, young, it didn't matter, uh, poor, rich, whatever class, whatever culture, whatever ethnicity, it does not matter. All that matters is your connection to Jesus Christ, that he pours out the Holy Spirit on them. Um, 
verse 17 once again. I want to I address something that might be confusing to you, the, the issue of prophecy. So let me, let me pause on that for a minute just so you understand it. Uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, verse 17. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, right? And then it continues to emphasize prophecy, visions, and dreams. Now, what does that mean? That's been something that people wrestle with. Uh, what, what is going on here? The issue is that this is saying, the point that's being made from Joel is that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit means that all, everybody will prophesy. Um, but there's different uses of the term prophesy. And in my understanding of history and what took place even in the early church, it's not true that if you, there, uh, let's, to simplify things, let's say there's two Two, two ways to take prophecy. One of them is to take it in the sense of people who receive actual word-for-word -word messages from God that they then pass on as this is God's word and I'm giving you this oracle from God as Isaiah did. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm giving you an oracle from God. I have an actual word from God and I'm passing it. Now, we know that that didn't happen to every man, woman, boy, girl in the early church nor in the church since. That didn't happen. They didn't, we didn't all, the church was not full of Isaiah's and Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's, right? We weren't, everybody wasn't spec. So, so uh, the idea is that the more general idea of prophecy is this. And if you don't want to follow me on this, that's okay. This is once again, I'm leaning heavily on, on Calvin here and a few others. Um, but the idea, it, it, once, I, once I saw this, it all began to make much more sense to me. And it's this. The prophets of the Old Testament, what were they prophesying? The Messiah, right? The prophets of the Old Testament, the great prophets of the Old Testament who were filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesied. These special men, sometimes women, but usually men, they prophesied. And what were they prophesying about? The coming of the Messiah, the coming of the age. What he's saying is, is now it is being poured out on all people. They all know the Messiah. Before it was, remember how Paul always says, it was a mystery in the Old Testament that prophets would prophesy and they prophesy about a mystery and they didn't even know everything about it, but they did, they were given a message from God, like David was given a message from God to prophesy. And so they prophesied the coming of the Messiah, but now every member of the church, man, woman, boy, girl, has that prophetic message poured out into them by the Holy Spirit. They now know the Messiah. They now know Jesus. Everything those prophets were saying in the Old Testament is now in the hearts and minds of all Christians. We all know this Jesus. The Messiah that was prophesied, the new age that was proclaimed was coming. We know it. We're experiencing it. We know him. We love him. We rejoice in him. And so we're, we're all, we all share of that prophecy, that prophetic spirit, knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. Um, and, and, and when we speak about Christ, when we speak about Christ, we are speaking prophetic words because they're words that are, uh, it's not like Isaiah, a word from God, a new word from God, but it's a prophetic word. Uh, it's a true word about the Christ, a true word uh, from God about the Christ. Um, and so that's, that's my understanding of prophecy. That's my understanding of what this means when it says that every single Christian is is a prophet, that every single man and woman is a prophet. The Spirit always points us to Jesus. And so that means if you, are, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus and rejoice in Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's prophecy in you. You know the one that all the prophets were pointing to. You know the one. 
that the prophets were saying in the coming day. Now it has been made clear. The mystery, as Paul would say, the mystery has been revealed. It has been made clear to us. Uh, it has been, uh, the curtain has been pulled back. Now, I want to say one other thing before I get to my last, my last thing here, and it's this. If you find yourself, this is sort of an application of this, this principle, a side application. If you find yourself on the periphery of the church, you know, the church, the, the elders and the pastor and the, and the deacons and, and a few other uh, teachers and a few other leaders are doing all this stuff, but you find yourself sort of here on the periphery of the church and you don't uh, see yourself as really, that's, those are the important people, those are the essential people, they're really doing the church work. They're really doing the work of God's kingdom and, and what God's church is about. But I, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm no one. I'm over here on the periphery of the church. I, what could I add to all of this? Recognize, understand the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us. We all, the elder, I want to say this completely honestly and completely uh, factually. I am not more important than any of you. The elders are not more important than any of you. Uh, we are all. We have an equal importance. We all, the Holy Spirit has been given to all of us. That means all of us have ministry to do. We have something that God is giving us to do to serve our brothers and sisters and to serve him. We all have a part to play. No one should be sidelined. No one should be peripheral. You're not really part of what's going on. I used to use the image of a battleship versus a cruise ship. Have you ever heard this image before or heard me say it countless times before? Uh, this, a church is not a cruise ship, right, where there's a staff and everyone else is sitting on the deck, you know, enjoying what the staff is, is supplying. It's a battleship. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a job to do on the battleship. Everyone has something to, to play, and everyone's essential. They're all needed. Now, someone in the Navy, and I think I see some people in the, from the Navy here might correct me on this and say, no, there's a lot of people doing nothing on a battleship, but, but I don't know about that, so I'm going to stick with my metaphor and say uh, the battleship, everyone's important, and the cruise ship, a lot of people are just sitting on deck. Um, I'm not saying that to, to blame you. I'm saying that to encourage you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Do you love Jesus? That means the Holy Spirit's in you. He awakened you to Jesus. That means his fire's in you. He's burning in you, and you have something to give, something to way to contribute to your brothers and sisters, the church, and it may not be as an officer, it may not be as a teacher, but there are things, and it might be, but, it's, but it may be uh, something that, that God has given you, gifts that he's given you, uh, bodily strength that he's given you, love that he's given you, fervor that he's given you, that you can use and be a part of the church. We should all be a part uh, of what the church is doing. No one's, no one's, uh, and everyone's an essential worker. That's, that, that would be a way to put it in our, in our modern way of speaking. Last thing I'll say, and then I'll close this down, is the king will reign until God overcomes all of his enemies. This is similar to my first point, but taking it from a slightly different angle, that the king is going to overcome, God is going to defeat all the Messiah's enemies. You see this, of course, in the last quote from the Old Testament, verse 34. When, Dave, when, they, when Peter ends with his third text, Psalm 110, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord. That means, the Lord said to my Lord, that means the, that this is David, King David saying, God in heaven said to my King, my Messiah. 
So David, as king, is saying he has, there's a king over him. As a prophet, he already recognizes that he's not the highest king. He knows that one day there's coming a king who will be higher than him, a Lord who will be above him. So it's saying, Yahweh said to my Adonai, God said to my king, God said to my Messiah, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, the enthronement. This is where he's enthroned. Jesus is enthroned. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So my third point is that the king will reign. He is reigning now and he will reign until God overcomes all of his enemies. And what does that mean for God to overcome all of his enemies? It means that there is a day coming once again, this day of hope when all evil will be defeated. All evil men will be put away and all of their work and all of the things that they're up to and all the things that they're trying to accomplish and all the things that they're trying, all that evil work, all that evil strategies, all those evil uh, labor and, 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 and plans will be put away forever, including evil men as well as evil spiritual forces will be put away. Um, all evil will be defeated. Uh, evil spiritual powers will... This is what it means that the king, that the king is ruling. This, he is going to rule. Right now, evil is still at work. But there's a day coming when he will put all of his enemies under his feet. They will all be overcome and conquered. And once again, as I said earlier, on that day, our joy will be perfect on that day because there will be no shadow on our joy at all anymore. There will be nothing to pollute it or, or, or darken it, nothing to, to weaken it. Our joy will be free and perfect. Um, we, we have joy in the Lord now, but on that day, our, on that day our joy will be perfect because there will be no sorrow. Uh, God himself will wipe the tears from our eyes and all evil, all of the enemies of God will be put away. And that applies, and we see this, one of the ways we can see this is even in verse 23, which I didn't spend as much time on, as I thought I might, but I'm going to mention it now. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Notice that. Two things are brought together there. Evil men doing evil, terrible things that they even kill the Messiah. And it's all part of God's purpose and plan, and the end result of it all is salvation and victory for God and victory for the Messiah. Even when the men rise up and do the evilest things imaginable, kill the Messiah, these lawless deeds, these wicked deeds end in salvation in God's plan. All the evil, the calamities that are happening, they will all, all the enemies that are rising up against God, all the evil that's taking place in the world, you understand that God is bringing all of that evil, all of those evil things taking place. God is bringing them through his Messiah, through Jesus, he is bringing them all to an end. He will defeat all of his enemies and bring us through all of that. And God's plan is that the end of all of it will be salvation, complete deliverance, the ending of, of all of it. It's time. All these, all these things that are going on, their time is almost up. The Lord Jesus is coming. And so let us hope in the King's coming. Um, because this is what it means to have such a king. This is, what, this is what, his, what he's going to accomplish. This is what he's going to do. So once again, the point of this sermon, the sermon rises to verse 34. Let me end with this. Um, 
Therefore, let all Israel, let all Israel, notice he says, every Jew, listen up, everybody in Israel, I want you all to understand this. Be assured of this. I've made my arguments. I've shown you the miracles. I've shown you the resurrection. I've shown you the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Made him the king. Made him Lord and Messiah. And you need to understand something. Pastors get up nowadays, and we give an invitation, right? I'd like to invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior. That's not what Peter's doing. Peter's saying, he is king. Get on your face. It's a command, not an invitation. It's not a gentle invitation. It is, this is the Lord and Christ. Bow down. Swear allegiance to him and him alone. Obey him. Surrender everything you have to him. This is the one. And it's not bad news for you. It's good news because he's the deliverer. He's the savior. Messiah doesn't just mean king, but savior, the deliverer from all evil, from all calamity, from all the suffering and evil and consequences of sin. He's delivering us from the, the, three, the three big things, sin, death, and the devil, right? He's delivering us from all of those things. He's even delivering us from flesh, our own flesh and our own sin within us. Um, this is good news. It's not an invitation. It's a command. He's saying, Jesus is king. Act accordingly. If you understand that, let me see how you respond then. Act accordingly. He is king. Now live as if he's king. And there's that, where that nice term comes in. Change your life. Metanoia. Repent. Change your life. This is the king. We're going to see their response next week and see how they respond. It says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. He is the one who will save us. And remember the promise, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and in this context, he's just said, who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered. And, when, when, and that, when that word saved is, is said, that means saved from everything, everything, all the evil, all the sin, all the death, all the misery, all the calamity. You will be saved from it all if you swear your allegiance to this one, if you put your hope in this one, if you bow down on your face before this one. He is Lord and Christ. And God, the creator of heaven and earth, has made him so. Jesus of Nazareth, a peasant in a backwards place, is the Lord and Messiah of all things.